ABM is for life, not just Christmas. Hello, listener. Thank you for joining us for episode 94 of Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. This month, we're talking about how you write really great content for account-based marketing that stands out now that everybody is doing ABM. In a couple of minutes, we'll be hearing from Rhiannon Blackwell, who's Accenture's head of ABM for Europe. And later, senior copywriter Katie shares her favourite writing tip and a customer experience manager tackles the Anonymous Five. My name's David Maguire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications. And our guest co-host for this episode is a familiar voice. It's George Reith. Hello, listener. Hello, David. I'm, I'm back again by unpopular demand. <laughs> You're like the renegade master. Exactly. The moment I get brought out of retirement every time and I'm like, oh, I'm too old for this. Um, but I'm not. So here I am. Hello. Well, thank you for finding time to talk to us. The, the diaries have been a bit insane these mm. last few weeks. Yes. Everybody seems to want content right now. People like content, and I guess they can't go to events. So, <laughs> so they have the money to thing. <laughs> they have money to spend on content, yeah. and yeah. we're we're happy to help them. I spend think it. I think I've very much generalised a very complex thing happening right now in marketing. To that. I'm sure there's more to it, but that's that's what some people have told me anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that I think that's right. You know, and and engagement with content is is up. I hear so it's a wise place to spend all of your money. But I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> I was going to say, we're a bit biased, but you can Slightly trust us. Slightly biased us. about yeah. that. George, you know the drill by now. Could you let the listener know where they can get in touch? Of course I can. So, listener, if you have comments, questions or suggestions, you can contact us by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or on Twitter. At radix.com That's R-A-D-I-X. C-O-M Sweet I don't think you put enough E's in there, David So David, you've been talking to a bona fide real-life expert in ABM uh, and I gather that timing was of the essence for this interview. Yeah, that's right. I spoke to Rhiannon Blackwell, who's head of ABM uh, for Europe, for Accenture, but she was just about to go on maternity leave, literally just after talking to me. Uh, So I had to agree that we'd stop the interview if she went into labour. I won't spoil it by telling you whether that actually happened, but I will tell you that I started by asking, what kind of ABM content actually works for you? So I think there's three different things to think about when it comes to ABM content. And the first of all is is knowing your audience. So it has to be insight-led. So actually understanding and being able to demonstrate what your clients care about and linking content to the outcomes that they want to achieve as businesses. So that, for me, is the most critical thing about content in ABM. And I think it's really important that whatever you do produce, clients can recognise themselves in it. So not only the relevance to what they're trying to achieve, but also the language that's being used in content actually reflects the language that they use internally as well. And also using those insights to deliver content in a way that makes 
most sense for that particular client. So from that, we obviously work out what what type of format we might want to use. So content for us can look like a whole range of things. It could be a point of view. It could be a bite-sized infographic. It could be a podcast, a video. Um, it could be a whole manner of things. And that's what's so fun about AVM is it's very creative. But yeah, being insight-led and actually showing that you know your customer, show me that you know me. That's the most important thing, I think, for ABM content. Um, and I also think having a compelling hook from your content as well is so critical to actually draw them in and make them want to actually consume what you've got to offer. Um, and also... It needs to be really purposeful. So being clear on what you want that piece of content to achieve with that client and where it fits in their client experience with you, where they are on your buyer journey, that's going to change the type of content that you want to share with them and when. So it all comes down to that sharing the right content with the right person at the right time. That's a critical kind of thing to think about when you're working out what content to share through your ABM programs. Yeah, and a lot of those things are, I think, things I think we'd recognise as being, you know, good practice for creating great marketing content anyway. Um, but with this, when you're talking about a client, you know, we're not writing for a persona or something here. We're talking about, is it somebody specific or a specific account or a specific vertical? I mean, how bespoke are you when you're talking about account-based? So we're very bespoke. So at Accenture, we do one-to-one strategic ABM. So we are actually targeting individual clients as a market of one. And we're super lucky at Accenture that we've got so much content is literally coming out of our ears. And a lot of it that's being created, maybe 80% 80 of it is already being created, targeted at specific industries or specific buyer roles. So we get to start at a really quite a curated level of content as it is mm. um, and then as part of our ABM programs our starting point is always well what's already out there we don't want to start from scratch when there's such a plethora of amazing content surrounding us so we'll cherry pick the most relevant pieces and then it's a case of well what level of tailoring or customization or bespoke stuff do we want to do on top of that so we probably probably around 10 or 15 percent of what we do through our ABM programs is truly bespoke and that could be I mean recent examples we've created a podcast just targeting one client it could be a point of view it could be an infographic and that is uniquely created for them around whatever whatever we're trying to work with them on at the time but that's obviously really a heavy lift so we would do that maybe around a particular deal or opportunity because it's worth it and we want to win it um and then maybe 30 percent of what we do is taking content off the shelf but tailoring it for the client so going into the content and maybe adding decision points for that particular client to think about or data points just for them comparing them against their peers for example and then maybe 50% is off-the-shelf content that I'll share with you as, a, as, as it comes, but maybe with an email to go alongside it saying, thought you'd find this relevant in light of X, Y and Z that you want to achieve. So kind of, yeah, topping and tailing it with relevant messaging. 
And then maybe 5% is truly generic. And that might be stuff about International Women's Day or things like that. That's still relevant and important as part of brand awareness, but doesn't need that level of kind of tailoring or customisation or bespoking at that end. I wasn't counting how those percentages <laughs> added up. I'm going to trust you that they. I'm going to trust you that they add up. Um, no, that's that's great. And when you're talking about the stuff that's bespoke for a client, yeah, are you talking about by a client? Are you talking about a decision making unit, an account, or are you literally talking about one person? It can be both. Yeah. So we we do sometimes create content for an individual client. We'll create a lot of client meeting materials for example that could go to maybe just two or three people at the client or we might create a report for one particular organization and share that more broadly at, at that particular client so yes it can be all levels yeah is there a um a tipping point where when you're trying to personalize something you could end up going too far and trying too hard to show the insight that, that you've got and you just end up telling them things that you've learned about their company when they already know that. Again, in the broader B2B content that, that, that we write, we'll see stuff that's aimed, I don't know, at the automotive sector. And it'll say, the automotive sector is really important and it's grown from this to this and the future things are this. And it's like, mate, they work there. <laughs> Why are you telling them this? Start from the first thing that they don't know. Yeah, I think, and that's where it's so important that you are working hand in hand with the account teams or the sales teams to really understand where the client is at in their particular journey um, and their own level of understanding and starting from that point. Um, it's, it's really easy to fall into the trap, for example, of, Accenture's got this great piece of content. It's about cloud. Let's share it with clients because we actually want to launch it in February. Let's just share it with them and make it relevant to them mm. rather than thinking about what does that client want to achieve? Where are they in their journey? Oh, that piece of content would be relevant in this context. Now let's share it with them at this time when it's relevant. So I think it's kind of shifting, turning marketing on its head to, to start with the client rather than start with the content and then end with the client. And that helps us make sure we're, yeah, we're not teaching them to suck eggs. We're actually being driven by their need and our understanding of, our understanding of their understanding. So that, yeah, so then the research doesn't come off as, you know, too generic. Yes. And for an account, you're just listing back at them what it says in their own annual report or, yes. or something. So you talked about the, the, the sales team and, and working with them. Do you then provide them with the materials to take that content to the client or do they kind of come up with that themselves? I mean, do you write in mails or LinkedIn posts or things like that for them? How, how does that bit happen? Yeah. So, um, it varies actually. So in some cases we do, we will write social posts for them and we will write emails for them to send. For other things, we might send centralised emails that we've tailored, but with their input as well. Um, but whenever we do write something for them, we always encourage them to add their own voice. And I think that's really important that any piece of copy that's being sent from an individual has a unique voice attached to it because ultimately people listen to people people don't listen to brands no. and I think that helps our messages land when it, especially if it's someone that you know has sent it and then suddenly it feels like generic marketing speak well that's going to turn off your audience mm. whereas if they then tailor what we've provided so we'll infuse those key messages 
to make sure that they're, they're on point. But then if they tailor them in their own language and also apply any personal insights, so they know these people, they know what kind of language they respond to, they know what's important to them, and they know what conversation they had with them last week. So if they can kind of hook back to, you know, real life conversations, then that's only going to help the messages land. So I think it, I really always encourage people to apply that personal touch, I think, to any comms that we we write. Yeah, because it must must be weird if you you know if you've had a conversation with somebody last week, <laughs> you know about about a thing, and you know it's Jenny who you had a chat with, and then suddenly you get an, an email from, and, and and this email from her is suddenly it's like you're talking to a brand of the size yeah. of Accenture as well. It's like you're talking yeah. to this huge global megalithic thing. Yeah. Um, are they good at doing that? Do they make a do you train them in that? Does that feel natural for them? Do they understand that kind of personalising, making it sound like them kind of process? I think a lot of them are good at it because ultimately we're in a relationships business. So they understand, because as professional services, we sell people, basically. They understand sure. the importance of knowing their clients and you know, building those strong relationships so they know it's worthwhile and why we're asking them to do it. And a lot of them, even when we're trying to do kind of central campaigns, they want to get involved and they want to help us tailor them because they know what will and won't work for their clients. So in that respect, we are we are lucky. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, a lot must depend on the quality of the salespeople. Yeah. One of the things I, I really wanted to ask you about is, from a distance, it kind of feels like as... ABM has got more and more important in B2B, kind of your career seems to have sort of tracked that. Is that kind of fair that you were in charge of sort of ABM in a sort of a small bit of Accenture and and now you're running ABM for the whole of, of, of Europe and ABM seems to have become more important and you, you've kind of gone with that as an authority on, on, on ABM, which I guess is my way of saying you've been doing this for a while, right? <laughs> Yeah, quite a while. And I think, yes, it, we're seeing this across all organisations, this increased focus in ABM. And I think it arguably it is the future of B2B marketing. I think people now expect that same level of relevance that you get as a B2B consumer in the B2B marketing space. So and organisations are starting to realise that if they haven't been being that relevant with their B2B marketing clients up until now, then that's the way the world is going. So I think we've seen a real shift in people shifting their B2B marketing budgets from kind of broader demand gen, kind of traditional marketing over to the B2B marketing space. And that's certainly, we're seeing that shift in Accenture too. There's more investment in ABM. There's more focus on, on what it can do and how it can help us kind of drive business growth. So it's a super exciting time to be in ABM. Yeah. Does that make it more challenging as well, though? Because I'm kind of thinking, again, going back to the content, the area that, that our, our listener is interested in. But, mm. you know, I'm, I'm imagine at the start, ABM was a thing where there'd be a, a report and Jeff at Tesco would get a report and it would say digital transformation at Tesco, a report, especially for Jeff. And Jeff would go, oh, my goodness, this is especially for me, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and actually the content maybe didn't have to work quite so hard to be quite so bespoke or to do so much to stand up because the personal nature of ABM must have carried a lot of that weight. But now everybody's doing that. Is that just now 
that's table stakes. And now yeah. your stuff has to work even harder to get Jeff at Tesco to read it. <laughs> the fictional Jeff at Tesco. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it has to be... Yeah, it's on us to make content more compelling than ever. Jeff will be getting 10 different reports with a, a Tesco logo slapped on it. That's not special anymore. In fact, you'd be more differentiated if you didn't put Tesco logo on it because <laughs> everyone else is doing it. So I think... I think yeah it's on it's on us to be even more compelling with our content and it's it's thinking about what we're uniquely positioned to share with that particular client so where can where can we bring unique insights that other organizations can't and that could be perhaps through primary research that we've conducted as an organization it could be sharing case studies with clients where we've done something unique with them or other topics where we've got a really unique differentiated voice in the market we have to work harder to find what are those differentiated hooks that we can lead with with our clients because yeah tesco's logo is not enough to to wow jeff anymore (laughs) (laughs) but interestingly when you talk about your your, your content working harder to to stand out it, it, it does seem to come back to the classic old kind of content marketing venn diagram where you where you have the things that Jeff really cares about <laughs> and, and and the things that you are uniquely positioned to speak about yeah. and and the the overlap of those two things are where the magic happens yes which is the same for for so much of the content in in B2B right it's just yeah. that but with a really super focused audience is that fair that's totally fair yeah and i think one of the pitfalls that you can fall into, though, is you've got what you want to talk about. And sometimes it's really easy to forget and start using your own organisational language when, when talking about them to clients. So it's really important there that you're using that research and insight into clients to make sure that you, in that beautiful bit in the middle of the Venn diagram, you are talking in a way that... Will, that reflects them and they'll recognise themselves. So even down to language such as do they refer to their customers as customers or clients or members Mm -hmm. or their employees as colleagues or partners, those small choices can make all the difference in making it feel like you understand a client. Um, And also, I think, related to that is you have to make sure you dive one step deeper because on the face of it, if you look at some brands and the personality of brands, you might feel that um, they might represent themselves in the market as very fun and informal and kind of jokey, but that could just be the personality of their external brand. And it's we have mm. to go that one level deeper with our sales teams to really understand well, what are they like behind clo- closed doors? Because that's just how they represent themselves externally. What are the actual stakeholders' personalities like? Because those are the ones that mm. we're trying to speak to. So sometimes you can get thrown a bit of a red herring, which obviously might change what kind of tone of voice you're trying to use. And actually, that's not what's going to land well with your with your clients yeah and i and i guess that must be something that's really helpful where you've got an organization like yours where you've got like a head of abm who really gets it and it's really well embedded with the sales team and the marketing team really get it and that kind of because i think a lot of the time the content that we 
right are sometimes for people that are fairly new to ABM and where you make that decision about we're going to say member rather than customer because that's how the customer talks about it. Mm. We're going to use this phrase because that's mm. their internal language for their internal employee marketplace or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes what we found is that then gets taken out in the approval process because, oh, no, that's not our brand language. No, 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 yes. it's their brand yes. language. <laughs> yeah. And actually now we have to, you know, we often find when we've got those insights – we have to put comments in the margin That's or put a I rationale do. in. Yeah. So we have chosen this for a reason. Oh, you have to do that as yeah. well. It's yeah, not, I'll highlight it's, things it's and be us. like, I've chosen, yeah, I've done this specifically <laughs> so that it doesn't get taken out, yeah. Wow, so so from that point of view, do you still find yourself doing the doing the writing then or are you just kind of managing and reviewing everything now? Sometimes, well, I'm, I'm running a couple of ABM programs myself at the moment, just because I didn't have anyone to take them on at the time. So, but I actually find it's very helpful to kind of remain an ABM practitioner at the same time as leading a team, because then it means when I'm trying out new things, I can kind of incubate ideas within my accounts and then make a framework or a process and a template and then throw it across to the rest of the team so you can see what works basically so there's definitely value in doing the doing as well wow amazing um so you've had all of this career an ongoing career in in, in abm what do you know now that you wish you'd known right at the start that's a hard question i think I think it's don't assume that you know how people want to be spoken to. And I guess to my earlier point around make sure you're reflecting the client in the language that you use. I think that's just something that comes up time and time again is it's it's such an easy trap to fall into that you start communicating with people as if you you are a business talking to a business and at the end of the day mm. you just we're, I'm just a person talking to a person and I feel like that's what people can sometimes forget in B2B marketing and ABM marketing talk to people like they're people and use weekend language that's the really good book if I'm sure all of your listeners have probably already read it but <laughs> I think that's the ultimate lesson we're people talking to mm. people and lots of people everyone's different so you need to tailor how you communicate with people in a way that's going to work for them. Thanks, Rhiannon, for holding out until we'd finished the interview. And I can confirm uh, that baby Ivor has now uh, arrived safe and sound. I've seen a picture. He's a handsome little lad. So if you're listening, uh, I hope that you're having a a, a wonderful time uh, with Ivor and you're getting at least some sleep. George, there's lots of good stuff in there. What stood out for you? So a couple of things really caught my imagination there, actually. Sure. And especially it was interesting because it, you know, I've, I've written quite a, a lot of ABM for various agencies. Now, I'm coming at it from a very different place to where Rhiannon's coming from, right? Because obviously sure. she's very, uh, you know, hands-on in it all she's very like looking at the high level of it whereas obviously I get in at you know a really much later stage where a lot of stuff's already Mm. kind of been set um so it's really interesting to hear how how someone approaches it when they're looking at it from a completely different level I think what jumped out to me was the bit where Rhiannon says about having to work really closely with account teams to know where specific clients are in their journey because you know when I'm Mm. looking at it and talking about it with clients it's always 
who's getting what. Not really the when. That doesn't really come into the conversation. I'm sure that conversation's been had. I've just not been privy to it. So it's interesting to hear that that's something that Rhiannon is thinking about with Accenture. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting one, the idea of working closely with account teams, because I don't want to say anything bad about ABM here, right? Just to preface this, because I, I really like it. I really like working with it. It's great, right? <laughs> like, and, and it gets, going, I know, no, I've, I've set it up to be a big thing now. But that's the one bit that's always made me a bit strange about the whole thing is that, you know, we're often writing directly for salespeople that will later then engage with those accounts, right? And that's always something I found mm. odd is that the whole thing is you're trying to make this really personal thing. But it's obviously kind of not personal because it's because well because i'm writing it <laughs> for them you yeah, know yeah, yeah. literally putting mm-hmm. words in their mouth but but then using little tricks to make it seem like this really uh, personal one-to-one conversation that's always been a bit of an uh, an interesting twist to it now i know again that this is because i'm coming at it slightly like one step removed from the process right whereas somebody like rihanna's working on it directly in that, that account-based marketing sort of setup so uh, it's a very different place but yeah uh, that was a really interesting sort of takeaway for me it's just where the slight yeah. differences come in I, th- I think it's it's partly that, and and I think it's it's partly that it it, it may be a, a slightly different sort of campaign. Whereas, uh, you know, with Rhiannon, it's a one to one, you know, very high level, very strategic relationship. Sometimes, you know, they're making entire podcasts for an audience of one. Mm. We do that, but not on purpose. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> um, but um, it's still, it's, it's that thing where we are maybe more, because we have a team of writers, that we're maybe getting involved more in that kind of ABM light mm. section of the pyramid, where it's a campaign targeting you know a vertical market or targeting you know, 12 or 15 or 20 accounts. And it's one approach that we're kind of tailoring for different people often. So some of that account insights and that kind of thing has already been processed Mm. by the time it gets to us. So I I guess it's, it is that we're later in the, the food chain, but it's, but I guess it's also a slightly, you know, a slightly broader definition of ABM with us as well, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And again, that ties into another another part of your interview that I thought was, was super interesting was was the idea of having kind of multiple layers of tailoring. Because often the, the campaigns mm-hmm. I'm getting involved in, there's kind of like one set level of tailoring, right? And it ranges everywhere mm-hmm. from your sort of really kind of quick high level like hi name i know the organization is doing this you know it's 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 like the most basic level of tailoring which not to knock it 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 works and hey you got to do what you got to do but obviously then it ranges right through to like tailoring hero assets with like bespoke introductions that like really dive into annual reports and stuff like that right but it's interesting that Mm. normally it's one level that we apply to like a whole campaign so it was interesting what rhiannon was saying there about having almost like different levels like you know you might have some stuff that's like that really hard work for the individual stuff that's been completely created from scratch but then mm. you'll complement it with i mean even i think well i got lost with the percentages i have to say uh, but i can't remember what the percentage was <laughs> they said. did add up to 100 they i worked it out later Oof, yeah, yeah credit to her um 
couldn't she be me. On the fly. Couldn't be me. Uh, but she did say even you know about about you know having some generic content, and that's okay. And I know probably a lot of ABM people would scoff at that and go, oh, "What generic content? You're not going to use you know like a name mm. tag to auto insert their name?" But you know, I mean, it, it makes sense that you know you could have something like that because it's obviously coming from a salesperson that will then tailor it in the email and say, "Hey, I found this thing for you." Yeah, it's not about your business directly, but it's still pretty useful for you. And, and the tailoring goes on at that level rather than at the level you get a copywriter involved for, say. So um, that was really interesting as well. Yeah, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting that marketing has taken over kind of what used to be like a really nice old-fashioned sales technique and has kind of built a process around it. Like, you know, it's something where when I used to manage sales teams, because um, I had a life before I was a copywriter, um, when I used to manage sales teams there would be a thing that you would encourage people to do where you would read around the subject, um, you know, and if you found something that was relevant to a client at that time in a magazine and you'd tear it out of the magazine, put a post-it note or a comp slip on it saying, further to our conversation, I thought you'd really enjoy this, stick it in an envelope and send it to them. But that's obviously really, really labour intensive. That's based on a a high level of, of of knowledge and engagement with salespeople who are really busy. Some people are better at that than others. And, and it's making stuff like that where you're finding stuff and curating it for them. And I think some of the stuff that we do in, in, in ABM is, you know, helping agencies create that curated experience where the content that is most relevant to the, that person kind of comes forward for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, you know, I think it's it's always interesting. I'd yeah, I'd really love to get involved in the kind of kind of campaigns that Rhiannon was talking about there, actually, because it's not just about curating for the individual, but for the time as well. And I think I just think that's a really cool idea. I'd love to do more of that. And like, you, you get basic levels of it. You know, I've, I've obviously been on campaigns where you're looking at like you know the tofu, mofu, bofu kind of nurturing across multiple touch points and and all that sort of fun stuff. But you know, it would be really cool to get a little deeper into that further still about exactly where they are in that journey. You know, when can you send the case study? Like, what's the exact sort of week number that that's coming in and going to have the biggest impact? I'd love to see more more data around it and more conversation. Really good stuff. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, we're assuming, you know, that that's assuming quite a lot of the listeners. <laughs> so that's top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom of funnel. Yeah, right? yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. Fumo I've funnel. been in marketing too long, David. <laughs> this is what I've just found out from that, right? I'm just saying that like, yeah, everyone knows those. Yeah, Um yeah. <laughs> so it's as they're moving through their marketing or their sales journey from not knowing much about you to um, to making a, a decision. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that kind of one-to-one stuff. I did once get commissioned to write a book for one company. <laughs> yeah. Literally an audience of, of one. I did that. I mean, it was a very short book. Um, but that, that, that I have actually done that. And... I have no idea whether they got the deal. Genuinely don't know. You, it would be heartbreaking if you put in all that effort and then suddenly found that they just like they just never read it. Like maybe the postman just didn't deliver it. And you're just sat there like, oh, my book. <laughs> gosh, that would be <laughs> Can I have it back, please? Can I have it back? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I, I, and that's the, that's the thing that I've always found actually really interesting about ABM is that there's the stakes for each individual piece are, are so high. Like, I think like with all marketing, the more you target it, the, the higher your um, chances of success. Um, you know, the more targeted it is. 
but also the fewer people you're aiming for. So it's a higher percentage of a lower number of people. And it's just taking that to its natural conclusion. Um, but you, but you're getting to a point where the stakes are really, really high with that, right? You know, where mm. you write a book, you don't get the deal that that's, mm. that's gone. You know? but it's also like, I don't know, I see it kind of being an interesting comparison to say something like, you know, email that's kind of probably the, the not the opposite of ABM, but, you know, maybe close, right? It's like scattershot, not particularly personalised at all. Uh, sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know some companies I've spoken to, if they get anything above 0.1%, they're like amazing, right? <laughs> you know, they're like 0.1% open rate or, or click-through rate. They're like, that's incredible. That's like basically paid off for itself. That 0.1% as a raw number of your whole audience might not be that many people. So at that point, you know, yeah, the risk is a bit different, but why not just flip it and just go after the few people that are opening your emails and get them with something really tailored and specific to them? So, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, the risk profile is different of it, certainly, but I wonder how much different it is at the end of the day. Mm. We need more numbers for that. I'm just speculating here, <laughs> but it's fun to think about sometimes, if you're me. It's probably not actually fun to think about, but there we are. I said it anyway. <laughs> um, just one final thing that I thought was really interesting because um, spoiler alert we'll probably talk about this later as well when we get some of the other um, amazing points you talked about with the wider community about ABM but just one thing that really stuck out to me as well was talking about the need for a compelling hook mm-hmm. in, in your content and as you discussed in the interview as well you know having a hook it's not enough just to put someone's name on the letterhead yeah, yeah. that's that's not your hook that's like you know the the lowest common denominator <laughs> no, you know, once upon a time, well, once you know, once upon a time, it was like, wow, yeah. You know, exactly. But that's the thing. Now that's that's why ABM of, has yeah, really moved on. Now, basically, right? at the bottom of what's expected, not actually an exciting thing. It goes back to that age-old thing, doesn't it? About you know, getting the right story, the right hook, the right narrative for the right person. Really, yeah. I do. I do often wonder to what extent ABM content is different from all the content we write, just for a. A tiny, tiny audience that you know a lot more about, so you have an opportunity to make to really do something special for them. Um, but it's it is it's all about understanding your audience and based upon what you know, writing something that I love mm. for that that niche, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's the same principle, I suppose. You just have to do less sort of. Um... <laughs> less assumption making, yeah. I suppose. You know, you're not looking at like some trends report from Gartner and trying to be like, oh well, you know, this probably applies to every HR director in the world. But, <laughs> you know, instead you're able to look at that and go, oh right, this is one person. I know this applies to them. You know, it's um, it, but it, it, I suppose the, the exercise is the same, right? The, just the level of certainty is in theory a bit better. But then I guess the the risk of getting it wrong is higher, right? As well, you know, if you're trying to write something for a really broad audience, someone could look at it, and even if you get the language wrong, the terms wrong you know to a point they might be like okay well that's not how i refer to to customers but you know maybe another organization does you get a bit of a pass but yeah like well like rianon said if if you're not speaking their language properly that's i think that sticks out really badly in abm because oh, it's for sure. that one person it's like terms wrong, it's not yeah. like like google their way into your website you tap them on the shoulder and gone hey we made this special thing especially for you and you offer it up to them if it's rubbish, you've gained their attention and given them something rubbish. <laughs> They're going, <laughs> yeah, right, that, exactly. that, that, that's the best you've got for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Precisely. Anyway, sorry, yeah. as you were saying, I mean, I, I did want to extend things a bit. So um, I asked the, the community on LinkedIn and also in B2B Marketing's Propolis Hive uh, for brand and content strategy about their challenges with, with, with ABM content to see if any of it would sort of resonate. 
So uh, uh, Shika Saxena from ThoughtWorks um, came up with a number of things. She said, uh, how to truly step into their shoes and think from a customer's perspective, i.e. almost assuming that you're that company, getting deep into their context and understanding their view of the world. Uh, number two, she said, how to present it in a way that cuts through the clutter, less words and more insights. And number three, she said, with, with C-suite content specifically, how to elevate the details into big picture thinking. Um, so they're not focused on tiny projects. They're focused on long term growth strategy. If we were them, how would we approach it? Also, she said, to share something they don't already know about their business or how certain market trends would impact the future of their business. And that's the key, isn't it, with your research? It's to tell them something they don't know rather than just showing off your research by telling them things they already know. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I've i seen uh, a broad spectrum of ABM content and I've reviewed quite a lot as well. And, sure. you know, this isn't a pick on any Radix writers. No, I'm not, I'm not going to name and shame anyone. But, you know, you, see, you do see stuff like that occasionally crop up, don't you, where people... It kind of reminds me of like when people take exams and they do that thing where they're stuffing in specific terms they've read because they expect the examiners looking for that term to give them the tip. <laughs> it's like that, yes. but to to an audience. You're going like, ah, oh, I see you've done this initiative, and you and it's like, well, they know that. <laughs> you don't need to tell them that. So yeah, I mean, it's probably a good time to to, to throw in a, a, another comment that was from a Fiona Campbell House. <laughs> Who? Greythorn Consulting. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> I joke, of yeah. course. Uh, listener, uh, yeah, Fiona was uh, formerly the host of this very podcast. Uh, hi, Fiona. Uh, and, and Fiona said, um, knowing what will immediately pique the person's interest and offering something properly valuable as opposed to coming across as creepy, clueless or trying too hard. See, Fiona too has seen some bad ABM around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, and it is. It, it, it's partly, I suppose, with a lot of these things, when you've got that insight, it's partly not telling them things they already know, and it's partly not telling them things that will freak them out that you know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there is that, and it's funny as well how it, how it's really different across um across different audience types as well. You know, like I, I did um, a little bit of ABM for the public sector a while back. And I think, you know, because a lot of that stuff is a matter of public record, the, the, basically your your remit to be creepy is far higher. Like you could come in with some <laughs> extremely detailed knowledge about what that exact department's been up to, you know, and I was looking at it like shivering a bit when I was writing it. But, you know, that's, yeah, I think if you yeah. work in the public sector, you know that that everything yeah, that there's no such thing as something being anonymized. But um, I don't know. You could go. You can go. You can go too far, though, right? Oh, oh you mean, can still go too far. I mean, no, I mean, no, I no. see. I've seen. I've seen. I've seen ABM Insights reports. So the research that not that you send, but the research that you use, you know, that has people's kids' names on. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going it, that far, right? You know, and it, and because of it, I just think I go, hey. Say hi to little Johnny. You know, it's, it's like it, you, it sounds at that point like an extortion racket, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, normally you it want sounds your like something from a mafia movie. <laughs> normally you want your ABM audience to think like, wow, these guys really get my challenges. Not, wow, they're really sitting in the tree across from my second story. Um, <laughs> they, they, they're going through my bins. Yeah, they're, re they're really getting the binoculars out to spy on me and my family. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I mean, hey, point taken. You can always be too creepy, but I think uh, different... I imagine different audiences will have a different level of tolerance for it, right? Like, depending on what kind of business they're in. I mean, you know, I imagine if you're going after, like, 
healthcare or pharmaceuticals or a company that's obviously, you know, has a lot of control over data and anonymity is so important to, to the data they keep. I imagine then if you came in with some like big insights, they might be a bit more shook than uh, <laughs> than a company that's uh, allowed to be a bit more open about its, uh, its records. <laughs> yes, uh, that's my assumption anyway. I, I don't know. I'll, we'll have to ask. So you're a, saying depending on the depending on the sector, threatening someone's kids and your ABM content is OK. You know what? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um <laughs> They made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Purchase this cloud solution. No. Um. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. Because I do, I do want to share this one more because uh, I think this was my favourite response that, that I got was from um, uh, Scott Stockwell at IBM. Uh, he said this, uh, I think we all aim for our content to be relevant, timely and engaging uh, and something which propels our prospects along our intended journeys for them whilst building our reputation with them. For ABM, as the relationship already has some foundation, I think, like any relationship, some new elements come into play. You want to show that you've heard, responded, and considered everything that's gone before. You want to avoid repeating something or delivering some content or messaging that's clearly been flagged as unwanted. And this is the bit where it, starts, it gets really good. A bit like dating, you don't want to return to a previous venue and look a bit repetitive and unimaginative. You don't want to order the item that triggers a known allergy. You want to be conversational, where you share what you hope is interesting and you find out more about your prospect that you can respond to. I think the biggest challenge, particularly for larger organisations, is managing what content goes from which person to your prospect. The things that are less in your direct control, but have a big impact on how you're received. There's a story behind that dating bit, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a really great summary of, of sort of the challenge we're looking at with ABM, but also the opportunity. Although I will take a moment just to say that like, I hear so many analogies like this that sort of try and link elements of marketing to, to like dating and, and that sort of thing. And I don't know if this just says too much about me, but I've just never once thought anything I do in my job is like taking someone out on a date. Now, I don't know if that speaks poorly of my marketing or my dating life. I don't know. But, you know, I just, I've just never got that kind of metaphor. But fair play to Scott. <laughs> this is a great summary of what we're looking well, at here. I'm just <laughs> speculating on, on what Scott's like on a date now, I think. Well, I mean, he's, he's clearly not repetitive or unimaginative. So, I mean, already scoring points. Um, but I'll put my imagination to rest on that for now, for Scott's sake as well as mine. And uh, I will comment on one really great point he's made here, which is that I think because ABM has to be based on an existing relationship, you'd think. Otherwise, you've got no ground to really start personalizing something. I think it's really interesting because most people see the opportunity that presents, but also... There's a risk to that, right? You already there's basically a bridge that you could, in theory, burn if you do it really poorly. Mm, Whereas, yeah. like you know, an email sending out to someone, no one's got any skin in the game. They don't care. They'll just put it in their junk folder and move on. But yeah, I think that, that there's a bit of pressure there that I think maybe people don't always sense. <laughs> it's yeah. a bit of a, a precarious position. So let's sum up with, I think you know some some tips or some thoughts or some some takeaways some all of this stuff that that, that we that we've talked about so far about abm content and what's important i i think that from i'll kick off by saying that i think that the the area around um understanding the language that you're using and using the internal language of the audience um rather than your brand's language um is really important and calling that out 
um, in the comments, if necessary, in the writing, um, so that the stakeholders that have to sign off won't be going, this isn't our officially approved terminology. It's like, no, it's their terminology. And I, I think that's something that's um, that's really big. Anything, takeaway for you? Uh, I think one I'd want to put in is about... Uh, adapting how bespoke content needs to be, particularly in larger campaigns. Because, you know, I, I think as a lot of our, uh, the people we've spoken to have said to us, you know, doing truly bespoke one-to-one content, particularly big pieces, uh, it's, it's really difficult. It's really time-consuming. It's really hard, which is why not everybody does it. And also why you shouldn't necessarily have to do it for everything. You can have an ABM campaign that has a couple of big personalised hitters and then a bit of generic content in there. And by the sounds of things, I think that's perfectly fine. In fact, more than fine. It sounds like it's getting good results for people. So, you know, you don't have to go above and beyond and personalise absolutely everything along the line. And I think the final one for me is uh, the point Rhiannon made about the um, understanding the difference between writing for a company and writing for a decision maker within the company. So the personality of the person that you're writing for may be entirely different from the kind of public persona of the brand and not to get those two things confused, particularly if you're writing something that's quite, um, that's quite targeted. That's where the, uh, the insights from, you know, your account team, your sales teams really, uh, really important. Copywriting tip of the month. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a senior copywriter at Radix and here is my favorite copywriting tip. If you find yourself getting bogged down in long sentences, try setting an arbitrary word limit that you're not allowed to exceed. If you find it hard to self-police, you can install a macro on Word and it'll highlight the offending sentences for you. I usually go for 35 words, but your mileage may vary. Copywriting tip of the month. Well, that's a nice new regular feature for the podcast. Thank you, Katie, for the tip. I'm looking forward to hearing more in future. Yeah, absolutely. We'll try to bring a new tip every month. So, listener, if you want to send one, by all means, pop it on a voice memo to our email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Got to get value out of that email jingle. (laughs) Well, David, time's getting on. I think it must be about time to get into our Anonymous Five, surely. Yeah, absolutely. This is... Uh, where we find people behind key B2B personas and we ask them, frankly, impertinent questions that they could never answer honestly in public. But anonymously, all bets are off. So this month, we're talking to a customer experience manager at a UK automotive company. Question one. What misconceptions do people have about your job? Misconception is that it is all about experiential marketing, i.e. events, when in fact a big part of my job is making sure our online and offline channels are delivering the experience our customers expect. Question 2. Do different generations, like Millennials and Gen Z, really behave the way people say they do? And are those generalizations useful when you're developing experiences for your customers? There are clear trends we use, for example in terms of a shift towards a subscription model, but I wouldn't label them as coming from a particular generation. All consumers want a great experience that meets or exceeds their needs, so you first need to understand them without labels. Question 3. What would a really terrible day at work look like for you? A terrible day would be if we mess up and fail to deliver for one of our customers. Question 4. 
question four. Listening to the voice of the customer and running test and learn programs sounds easy, but what's the reality? There must be a reason why everyone doesn't do it. Time and resources are the reasons people don't do it, also a bit of complacency or lacking a tech platform that makes it easy. So important though. And question five. What's the worst piece of marketing content you've seen aimed at CX marketers and why? I'm cheating a bit as this is not aimed at CX, but the current EE campaign around phone envy is really poor. Thanks so much to our anonymous customer experience manager. We've made a donation to the Mighton Hospices on your behalf. Well, that was a uh, jam-packed episode. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, I think we'd better call it a day or we'll be here all night. Uh, question is, can you remember all the people we need to thank? Uh, I can, but only because you've written it down for me, David. Shh, don't so, spoil the magic. <laughs> Everybody knows I've got a teleprompter. It's the, it's the professional way. So let's go through the list. So first off, thanks to Rhiannon Blackwell for not giving birth until after you'd finished talking to us. Uh, and, and congratulations. And thanks to all our, our other correspondents. So that's uh, Sheikah, Fiona and Scott. And thanks to Katie for telling us about sentence lengths. And of course, thanks to our anonymous CX manager. And most importantly, thank you, listener, for staying so attentive all the way through. And remember, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that on email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or Twitter. R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M. Radix.com. And of course, thank you, George. I keep making that script more and more difficult, and you keep making it sound easy. I'll get you yet. So, listener, thanks again for listening, and until next month, remember, intelligence tells you what to do. Insight tells you how to do it. Understanding tells you when to do it. And the Backstreet Boys tell you why. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Goodbye. I kind of wanted to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you thinking about it and then. <laughs> <laughs>